0: But prayer is an interesting thing. Everybody does it at one point or another. There's always the joke that says that, uh, that you will never ban fully prayer from school as long as schools give tests, because students will always pray. Uh, we find ourselves, even people who claim not to know God, will seek Him in prayer when there is a felt need. And it is interesting what we do about prayer, because what we tend to do is we all feel that we don't pray well enough and so we when we hear somebody else praying we think okay well they sound really good god must be impressed with them so we incorporate some of what they do and say thinking what they do and say impress god so therefore I'll use it to impress god and and you can see that oftentimes you As I tell people, a lot of times you can tell a denomination or a background religiously of certain people by how they pray. They'll use certain words or certain words in certain orders and go, aha, okay, that person's charismatic or that, because they've adopted that style of prayer. And and again, they think that, well, the pastor of that church prays that way Obviously, he's a man of God, therefore God must be impressed. So I'll pray his way and use his words. And don't feel bad if that's how you feel, because even the disciples felt that way. What did they say? They went to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, I'm pretty sure that they weren't necessarily impressed with the technique of Jesus, but I'm sure that they were impressed with the fact that he was a man of prayer. And that he was an effective man of prayer. And instead of giving a long dissertation, he didn't say, okay, you've asked, we're going to set up a three-week special course on how to pray. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, pray this way. And he gives a very short, concise prayer. And he's taught, it's not the number of words you use. And he's somewhat surprising because basically what he does is says, starts out by saying, God's our father, you know, there's a familial relationship with him, that he is so holy that even his name is holy. And then he goes off and does something that most of us never think about. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Immediately, if we've got as far as praising God, our next thing on our list is Santa Claus God. I want this, I want that, whatever, and I'll sit on your knee if that's what's required, but here's my list of gifts that I want. And then we say, well, somewhere it says something about being grateful, so we say, thank you for giving it to us, and then we go, oh yeah, I heard that thing about, in Jesus' name, because I've heard other people say that, and so maybe God's got to address it and answer it if I say, in Jesus' name, amen, and you go, great prayer. Again, prayer is something we all do. Prayer is something I think we all want to be more effective at. And it's something that the Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing. That we are to make our requests known to God. So we are not only a felt need of saying, I need to pray, but we're also commanded to pray. So rather than having a long series on how to pray, and quite frankly, if you use my prayer life as your example, you'll probably fall as short as you do if you follow a bunch of other people's example of prayer. But one of the things before we talk about prayer is the sense of felt need. There is a sense that we pray more earnestly when there is a crisis or we have something that we feel so for instance if someone were to say to you if your doctor was say, you've come in and say well you know it's possible you have a certain disease so we're going to run a bunch of tests to see if you have that disease or not i'm pretty sure that 99.999% of you will start seeking God's face really quick and will be, start really praying with enthusiasm, God, I don't want that disease. Don't give me that disease. Even if I have that disease, Lord, take it from me now. Heal me so that when the tests come back, I'll be healed. Everything will be wonderful. And we pray up until the doctor gives us the results. And if the doctor says, you don't have that terrible disease, sometimes we'll say, thank you, God. But our thank you to God is not nearly as long as our, oh, please, God, don't let this happen to me. Or, well, I guess I didn't need to pray because I didn't have it anyway. And you've robbed your opportunity. But the next step I want to do is a lot of times somebody will come to you and say, I may have this terrible disease. And our common response is, well, I'll pray for you. And usually we do that because we're Christians, and that's, that's kind of the correct answer to do. And part of it is because we don't know what else to say. So our response is, I'll pray for you. And if that person who has that disease or potential disease is lucky, you'll remember to pray for them. And sometimes when you're well aware that you have a really bad memory, you say, let me pray for you now. That way you've gotten it off the list. But I want you to think just a moment. The difference between when you were told you might have this disease versus how you prayed for the person who's told they might have that disease. The closer you are to that person, the more likely you're to pray fervently. If that's your spouse or or sibling or mother or father all of a sudden there's that sense of, I need to pray because I love this person. All of us in this room are brothers and sisters. We're not related genetically per se, but related by the blood. We're all told that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we're all children of the King. So if you would pray in earnest for that loved one who is, family related then you ought to be as intense about our prayers for the one who is not related genetically but related by the blood so i'm saying all this to say that when we look at daniel's prayer it is something that it should be more than just oh that's a neat doctrine oh that's a neat bible study it is something that ought to influence our future lives and the reason why I like to emphasize Daniel, other than the word here in this part of Daniel, is Daniel was a prayer. He prayed. It was his habit to pray three times a day. So much so that he was set up. Because everyone knew he prayed three times a day. And so, not only did he pray and it was his habit, Daniel was willing to pray when it would cost him everything his life there was no guarantee that god was going to spare him from the lion's den he just prayed anyway because having that relationship and communion with god was important to him more important than his life so when somebody's like that then when he when we have his recorded prayer i'm going to take notice and so in daniel Chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Azeroth, a Median descent who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of desolation of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. First thing we should notice, Daniel read the Scriptures. Now, at this particular time, there wasn't a collection of books that we now call the Old Testament, and Jeremiah was in it. Jeremiah was just simply a prophet who wrote the Word of God, preached the Word of God. Daniel had a copy, and he knew based on Jeremiah's ministry and his writing that he was a prophet of God, so that it was profitable for him to study the Word of God. And when he did, he noticed something. He noticed that there was a timetable. That God had told Jeremiah that I'm going to cause Jerusalem to fall. And that you're going to be in exile. And you're going to be in exile, as Daniel reads, 70 years. So, I want us to take a look at two passages in Jeremiah that talks about that. The first we find in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. This whole land will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of the Babylons and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans and I will make it an everlasting desolation. So here's a clue. It talks about 70 years. But but Jeremiah is going to go on further and say this. And it's interesting that you've probably heard this passage, but you've probably never heard it in context. You've probably heard, and 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 I'll tell you where it begins. He says this, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. Most of you haven't read that part. Daniel is going to perk up and go, "Uh, here's a second clue. We're going to be here in captivity for 70 years. Daniel is a man somewhere between 80 and 85 at this point. He knows he's been there a while. The question is, when do the 70 years start? Does it start when he first became an exile? Does it when uh, Jerusalem totally falls? He's not quite sure, but he knows through the word of God that God is about to rescue his people. Now, here's the rest where you've probably heard it. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen. You will seek me and find me, and when you search for me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and will gather from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. Daniel reads this and says, okay, there's 70 years. But God has not just said, okay, well, 70 years, whatever. That God has got a plan for us, or a future for us, and He's going to restore us. We just need to seek Him. Now, the other two chapters uh, in Isaiah that I'm not going to go there, I'll just tell you quickly. If Daniel would have read Isaiah, and he may have, we just this is what caused him to perk up. It talks about how God... Before the Medo-Persian Empire ever comes into existence, he talks about a king named Cyrus and how Cyrus is going to be his shepherd and how Cyrus is going to fulfill his his, uh, commands and how Cyrus is going to do certain things to have the people restored. So there are two places in the scripture that give comfort to those in exile that the time period it's just 70 years, and as we just read in Daniel, that when Darius, in his first year, that's when he noticed this great prophecy. So, do you want to be an effective prayer? Read the Word of God because that's going to tell you what the will of God is. And you notice in the, what we call the Lord's Prayer, it does say, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if you haven't read His Word, you may not know what His will is. So when you read His Word, you go, Aha! There's His work. There's His will. So I'm going to pray that His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. The problem with that is there are certain things that tells us that's His will. One of those, for instance, it's His will, our sanctification, our holiness. But we all like to run amok. We all like to do things that we want to do. But God says, no, no, you're supposed to be set aside as holy. But that's no fun. So we kind of don't want to do that. Then it talks about that His will is for us to pray for our leaders. Yeah, but our leaders are jerks. It's okay, because we're still supposed to pray for them. That's God's will. There's several things that are told that are God's will, and we go, but I don't like that one. I like the ones that says how wonderful I am. Maybe it's why we don't read. And so reading the Word of God is one of the things that Daniel does that is the impetus for his prayer. So, so I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Notice he didn't say, and so I started giving God a list of things that he ought to do the way I think he ought to do it. He goes, I sought the Lord in prayer. It wasn't, I didn't seek an answer from God in prayer. I sought God in prayer. Now, let's, on a human level, let's look at it. there are times when our children or our spouses or whatever, sometimes the only thing we think that they care about us is that we give them stuff. And so it's, okay, it's almost Christmas, so I'm going to be good to you, and so whatever, you're going to get all these gifts, and then all of a sudden you don't care because you got all the gifts. That's not a relationship. That's an ATM transaction. Daniel doesn't seek God for the ATM. He seeks God for God. So a key in prayer is not to take out your list first. It's to seek God. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek Him by prayer. And He does it by supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, which means He's wearing sackcloth. It's like wearing a gunny sack. Those are irritating They're not nice. It's not linen. It's not not silk. It's scratchy. He's going, I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm going to seek Him by fasting, which means I'm going to be hungry. I'm going to have a headache. It's not going to be fun. But it's so important to me to seek God that I'm willing to undergo and forego creature comforts because it's that important. And then now he says, I pray to the Lord my God. And confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments." So he starts off and says, I know who you are, God. You're awesome. You're kind of sounds like the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. He starts off by confessing and professing that God is awesome and that he keeps his covenants and he is has loving kindness. And then he goes, we, interesting word, we, everything we've read up to Daniel up until now, and and I'll give you a clue, even at the end of Daniel, and even throughout the whole scriptures, has never one negative thing to say about Daniel. Now I'm not saying Daniel wasn't perfect, because he probably wasn't, but he was probably an awesome man of God. And the things that he's going to confess is probably not part of his problem, but he understands it's part of his people's problem. And guess what? He is we. And so when your family's messing up, you can't say, Well, that's just my family. It you're in your family. We have sinned. Daniel makes it personal. It's not a I'm 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 not just praying as an intercessor. I'm praying because I have the problem just as much as everybody else. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. You put, what's that? When you told us to do something, God, we didn't do it. Not only did we didn't do it, we did it in rebellion. Now, as a dad, I can tell you, when my kids were growing up, and even my grandchildren, especially my grandkids, they they can mess up a lot more than my kids could, because I guess I'm not responsible for them. Uh, and and I also understand that my grandchildren and I have a common enemy. It's called their parents. And so anyway, I have a lot of, I have a lot of empathy and sympathy for my grandchildren, and more so for my kids. You know, I, I gave my kids more. Leniency, then you know, I use the example. When you go to a restaurant and your kid is crying, you just kinda of feel bad and you try to get him. But when somebody else's kid's crying, you go, Why don't you shut that brat up? Your kid's never the brat, that kid always is. Okay. So in the in the sense that that um we are sinners, but we also understand who we are. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. He acknowledges that the rebellion and sin ran deep. And that's the other thing I want to talk about. When God talks about rebellion, as a father I was much more forgiving about everything else but rebellion. His people rebelled against God, their father. But Daniel in his prayer understands that the sin is rampant. It goes from the kings to the princes, to the leaders, to the fathers, to him. It's not just the sin of the leadership. It's not just the sin of the people. It was complete and when God sent his prophets to warn the people that they were off track not only did they not listen to them they killed them the only time they ever made a big deal about the prophets were after they were dead then they said how wonderful they were verse 7 righteousness belongs to you O lord but to us shame as it is this to this day, to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in the countries to which you have driven them, because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion, forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings which he set before us through his servants the prophets indeed all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside not obeying your voice so the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses the servant of God for we have sinned against him Daniel continues understanding and making a comparison. God is righteous, God is just in what he has done. He told us in advance what the consequences for were if we didn't obey and were in rebellion. He warned us through the prophets and yet we again we it's not them, it's we did not listen. So Daniel is saying, God, you are, in comparison, you are holy, you are righteous. Everything that you say and have done has been just and right. On contrast, we have rebelled. It's our shame. It's our sin. It's us. Thus, verse 12, he has confirmed his word which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring, us, uh, bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has, was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come, in, uh, come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Again, Daniel goes, it's a problem that has been throughout all of Israel and it's gone even to this day to the people who have been in diaspora throughout the earth. We have not paid attention. We have not sought you. And it was written ahead of time. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought us brought it upon us. The Lord our God is righteous with respect to all the deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. He continues on. God is just. God did these things. And it's not unfair. It's just. We deserve it. Again, he's not oftentimes it's, well, God, you didn't have to act this harshly. No, you've done exactly what your word is. If you're truthful, then you're going to do exactly what you say you're going to do. It's our problem. Verse 15, And now, O Lord our God, who have brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for Yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all Your righteous acts, let now Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy mountain, For because of our sin and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all around us. So now Daniel is getting to the point where he's going, now we're going to make a transition. Your people have not been a perfect people. Even when you brought us out of Egypt, you did it with righteous acts and with power, and you can do it again. And reminding ourselves of what God has done in the past can increase our strength and our faith to know that God can do something in the future. And so Daniel is saying, you did this, but we also understand we're not a perfect people because even while we were coming out of Egypt, we were griping and complaining and getting other gods and worshiping them. But you have been righteous he's saying, but now Jerusalem is reproach. And now Daniel is going to talk to God in a way, which I think is an effective prayer. And I hate to use the word technique because Daniel is doing this from his soul. He's not doing this, oh, if I say these words, it'll impress God. So now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. Daniel's prayer isn't, God, I just confessed, but I'm a pretty good guy, and I'm your servant, and I'm pouring out my heart. Now, God, because of who I am, you need to set Jerusalem back to the way it was. It's not what Daniel does. He goes, Jerusalem's your city. And as long as it's in desolation, your name is the one that's affected. So God restored Jerusalem. Shine your face on Jerusalem so that people will say, that's the city of God. That's your place. And when your place shines, people shine to you. But when you're in desolation, everyone will say, well, maybe the God of the Jews isn't that powerful. So his technique And again, I hate to use that word to say, God, I'm praying for this, not for me, but for you. It's for you that I want this to happen. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in a city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merit of our own, but on account of your great compassion. Bingo. It's not because we are worthy that God answers. I have this friend who was a great prayer warrior for Libby while in the hospital even now. And, he would, and not only would he pray, he would get others to pray. And, and there was a, a group of men of about 40 that I've spoken to before. And he got them to pray and whatever. And I had thanked him for praying and doing that. And for his ministry of not only prayer, but seeking others to pray. His response was a little bit surprising to me. His response was, well, the reason I got other people to pray is because I'm not that worthy and maybe God won't hear me, but he'll hear others. And my response to him was, in the book of James, it says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth of, of accomplishes much, and that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He was fallible. He had his good days, he had his bad days. His good days were really, really good. His bad days were really, really bad. He had a nature like ours, and yet he prayed. But he prayed the will of God and those things happened. And I told him, because of Jesus, we are righteous. And his response to me was, okay, pastor. When we think God ought to listen because of our merit, you don't understand. Daniel, if anybody could boast and say, I'm a pretty good guy. I risked my life for you. I was willing to pray and die. I'm that righteous. Daniel doesn't make that plea. He goes, it's not for our merit, but account of your great compassion. God, be merciful because you are merciful, not because I deserve it. I'm not asking for you to be fair, God. I'm asking for you even to be unfair. I want you to give me grace, unmerited favor. Oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and take action. God, I want you to hear me. But hearing is, is nice. But your people are suffering. So I want you to take action. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Again, it isn't, I'm really uncomfortable here. I really don't like it here. It's, no, no, God, it's your sake that I'm praying for this. Because quite frankly, Daniel is about 80, 85 years old. Even if they get to go out tomorrow, he's probably not going to make it. He's not praying that he might go back. He's praying that God's name might be restored. Do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. We call ourselves Christians, Christians mean little Christ, which is kind of a lousy description of who we are, because we really ain't. That's why I like the term disciple better. For those of you who have been in the martial arts, there are white belts and orange belts and green belts and black belts and striped belts and black belts. There's different levels of being a disciple but of that technique. So if you're in judo, you have those kind of belts. If you're karate, those kind of belts. But nobody says, oh, because you're a white belt, you're not involved in karate. You're a disciple. You're not a karateite. You're not a judoite. You just have a certain belt. Now, the problem is, if we're all truthful, we all just have rookie belts. Whatever Whatever the first thing to get you on the mat, that's where we are. Because it's not about our merit. It's about Him. So God, I'm asking You to do these things for You. So, in your prayer life, I'm not saying that you shouldn't say, God, I can really use this. I want you to heal me or heal my friend or my spouse or my loved one or whatever. I'm not saying don't have those prayers. But if that's all your prayer life is, you're missing out. And if that's all your prayer life is, you're not going to see a lot of what God's doing happening because you're not going to be aware of it. Daniel was aware of what God was going to do. Could you imagine if he never read Jeremiah? Then all of a sudden these things started happening. You go, what a coincidence. No, God said for years and years and decades before it ever happened, this is what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what the will of God is because he read it before it happened. It wasn't a coincidence. It has always been the will of God. So, I'm going to give you one more scripture, which is not in Daniel, to give us an opportunity to pray God's will. And I'm not going to use the, let's be sanctified or let's pray for our leaders or those type of things. I'm going to give one It's kind of like Daniel's reading of Jeremiah. It's found in the book of Revelation. Chapter 19. Now I would encourage you to read the entire book. And I understand that you're not going to understand most of it. Because even the people who claim that they understand it, probably don't. But there's some bits and pieces that we can get. This is one of the bits and pieces I think we can get. It's in chapter 19, starting with verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judge and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. And he will tread the wine presses of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe... And on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We can debate when this is going to happen. It may happen tomorrow. It may happen today. It may happen 70 years from now. It may not happen for another thousand years. But we know this is what's going to happen. So guess what? We should be praying, God, may the Lord of lords and King of kings arrive. May you rule this earth, because we've done a lousy job with it. Come. Even so, come. Because I know that this is your word, this is your promise, that you have told us, your son is coming to rule and reign. So even so, Lord, come quickly. So, If you don't know what to pray for, you're not having a test tomorrow. No one told you that you might have a terrible disease or a friend or loved one does. And you just are having a, "Eh, I don't know what to do day. Pray the will of God. And thereby do what Jesus taught. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hopefully, Daniel's prayer can be an outline to say that we pray with passion and conviction, that we pray not seeking a list of what God might do to benefit me, but we might seek Him in prayer. That the foremost thing that we do in prayer is not to get stuff, but to commune and be with God. And then to see, not necessarily what He might do in our lives, but what He might be doing in this world. And to know with conviction, because His Word has said it, just as Daniel, which I want to back up a little bit. Some might say, well, it's the will of God, so why pray? Because we were told to by our Lord. So that's good enough. If if you say he's my boss and he says, do this, you might say, well, I don't quite get it because you're going to do it anyway, so why should I pray? Well, if you read Jeremiah, it talked about the people's heart coming back to him. Daniel is praying that their hearts might come back to him. He's praying God's will, understanding that he needs to seek God. So even if it's the will of God and God's will will be done, we have been told to pray his will. And when we pray his will and it happens, I suggest, I almost guarantee when you pray his will and it happens, your faith is made stronger. So pray, even so, Lord, I don't understand all of revelation, but I get this portion, so God do it. And all God's people said,